Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? September 21st, and we are once again live on the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. We are your friendly neighborhood weekly social webcast, finally giving that voice to nearly 5 million young adults affected by cancer. This broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, leading the fight for the rights of young adults and bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight. Got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the stupid cancer show is on the air. Welcome to tonight's broadcast. Survival rates in young adults have not improved in 30 years. The past three decades of cancer progress have failed the next generation of survivors. So there's no reason to think the next 30 will be any different unless change happens right now. We are here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time and share all of our collective crapness. Join us and be the change that needs to happen for our generation. Hell, we invented Google, Facebook, Twitter, kept Sanjaya on American Idol all those weeks. We can do anything we want. This is Generation Cancer. It is our fight and our duty to give back to our own. We have the sheer numbers, the voting power, and the influence to change the rules because remission is not an excuse for a cure and survivorship is all that matters. Last week's show, September 14th, The Bald and the Fabulous with Chad Whitman, young adult survivor of melanoma, I2Y chief fabulous officer, Ryan O'Donohue, young adult advocate, bereaved sibling, chairman and president of Rise Above It, and the one and only Johnny Immerman. Young adult testicular cancer survivor, founder of Irriman Angels. Tonight's show is Singles with Stupid Cancer. In our spotlight, Landon Dunning, young adult survivor of ovarian cancer, singer, songwriter, and contributing musician to the I2Y Benefit CD Volume 2. Julie Larson, young adult cancer advocate, program director for young adult services at Cancer Care. And Tracy Maxwell, young adult survivor, also of ovarian cancer, executive director of Hazing Prevention. It's going to be a hell of a show. <coughs> Excuse me. So, hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, coming at you live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. I'm your host. Matthew Zachary, a 13-year young adult pediatric brain cancer survivor, joining me live here in the studio, as always, our chief cancer anarchist, Jack Buffard. Hello, Jack. Hey, Matt. What's going on, man? How you doing, bro? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Jack will be monitoring our live, concurrent, interactive chat room. So if you have something to say, let him have it and grill him with all the simple questions to stump his small little brain. In our live studio audience tonight, we are welcoming Kristen Meyer from Connecticut. Say hi, Kristen. Hi, everyone. There you go. Kristen. And, of course, it is always my esteemed pleasure to introduce my official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing from the windy city of Chicago, 
fellow young adult survivor and author of the acclaimed book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s, the lovely, talented, blogtastic, and spectacular Carol Rosenthal. Hello, Carol. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing? Doing okay. Hi, Carol. Hi, Jack. No one asked you. Oh, poor Jack. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. What are you up to, Carol? What's going on this week? Well, today I had a really lovely trip down memory lane on my blog in which I posted a picture of Sweet Valley High. No way. Do you remember? I mean, you're Remind me what that is again. No, you read those, Jack, when you were a kid. Admit it. No, because I was too busy catching up on Nancy Drew. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Sweet Valley High is about the two gorgeous little blonde twins who were in high school, and their lives were so perfect, and they had all these tumultuous relationships with guys, and, you know, <laughs> just the ups and downs of high school. Jack just so, threw up in his mouth. Yeah, that's like... <laughs> Oh, I picture Sweet Valley High as a little Matthew Zachary getting thrown into a locker. No, that I... was, that's Ten Island High. <laughs> right, so I can see in the chat room, I am not the only one who loves Sweet Valley High. I love yeah. Sweet Valley High. We have a lot of people. That's really unfortunate. Well, while Jack was busy reading Nancy Drew, I was reading Choose Your Own Adventure. <laughs> How the hell did you end up here? I have no idea what happened. I chose, yeah, for a brain tumor with Robitussin, turn yeah. to page 67. Right, exactly. <laughs> that was my book. How'd you know? Are you my author? Wow. Okay. Goodness gracious. So what was your Sweet Valley High blog about, Carol? Well, you know, I was talking about how when I was in middle school, I wanted to read books about people who are in high school. Like, nobody reads Sweet Valley High when they're in high school. You read Sweet Valley High when you're in middle school. And similarly, if you're a kid and you're wanting to read a book about your parent having cancer, you want to read a book about someone who's a little bit older than you. So I found this fantastic book. Um, it's a new book. It's called Brushing Mom's Hair by Andrea Cheng. And it is this fantastic little book um, about a 14-year-old girl whose mom has breast cancer, and it's written, it's very interesting. Each page is a new little sort of free verse poem. I kind of hesitate to use the word poem, but vignette poem kind of thing, and it is so right on. I think it's one of the best books I've ever read for kids whose parents are going through cancer, and uh, I think it'd be perfect for, you know, middle school girls. So it flashed me back to Sweet Valley High, hence my blog. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's a good one. It's a good one. I, I, I loved reading it. I mean, I don't even have a daughter. And um, I just was like, this is great. This is a great book. So you you don't have to have a, a kid um, as a parent with cancer to even love this book. You should just go out and get it and read it. It's so sweet. I'm going to write a blog about Degrassi. Degrassi. <laughs> The grass is always greener on the other side. Exactly, exactly. So how are you guys doing? I'm, well, I had a bit of a cataclysmic technology uh, implosion uh, this morning. My laptop died. And I know a lot of people say that as rhetoric, but it literally, and I'm a tech nerd. My laptop, the logic board of my laptop stopped working. So I had a bit of a panic attack, and my wife, who's in the chat room tonight, can attest to the fact that I, I did a pretty good job not throwing anything, but it was a bit of a panic attack. Um, I've currently MacGyvered everything so that it's working, at least for tonight, and I'm leaving for a trip to Canada. I'm going to Ottawa for a global cancer conference type of thing hey? on Thursday. I'm going to have to learn to speak their language, I guess. And uh, I, I'm going to be going with this, like, rental laptop now. But uh, I was able to rip the heart out of my old laptop that's busted and um, stick it into this new one temporarily. So I'm, I'm glad that I... Uh, I have at least some nerdism still stuck inside me to get this working. But outside of that, yeah, everything's working. Knock wood, and hopefully we'll, uh, it'll, it'll keep working. And I'll get my laptop back next Monday. Well, it uh, sounds like you're on, on the right path there, my friend. <laughs> Jack, um, yes, you've been uh, busy. busy. What do you mean, Matthew? Didn't you see like a... U2 and a Dave Matthews and a Bruce Springsteen and a Madonna concert in a row or something? 
No. In fact, I was supposed to, and as many people know, my two favorite bands in the world all time are U2 and Dave Matthews Band, in that order. I've seen U2 about 15 times and Dave Matthews Band 123 times. Well, the mecca of my survival was supposed to be this past weekend where I was going to see Dave Matthews play Philly on Saturday night and U2 play Boston Sunday night, last night. Yeah, but your white cell said no. My body said, you are not going anywhere on Saturday, my friend. <laughs> I... uh I came back from last week's Chicago uh, U2 concert in Chicago with a fever and ended up uh, being in the hospital for uh, dehydration and, you know, the high fever and throwing up and all that fun stuff. Jeez, so, uh, yeah, so uh, I had, so all I could think of was, this was Wednesday morning, so I was like, all I could think of is uh, I got to get better for Saturday and Sunday. And needless to say, I was back in the ER Saturday morning. And I was unable to go to the Dave Matthews concert. But in typical Jack Buffard fashion, he posts a picture to Facebook of just his feet <laughs> on a gurney thing, waiting for my toe tag. Very appropriate, Jack. I That's how that. I felt. Okay, fair enough. And everyone seemed to have enjoyed that, too. And I noticed you went tag, you went tag happy in that photo. <laughs> yes, I did. But I will say, against the advice of everybody who somewhat remotely cares about me, I did go to the U2 concert in Boston last night. And I was standing there on the field in that crowd, enjoying the show, but at the same time thinking, what the hell am I doing here? i got to go home and rest. Someone get a leash for Jack. So, I'm still alive, though. And, uh, you know, I did see my oncologist today, and he said that it's definitely viral. I'm not contagious, so anybody who wants to make out with me here on this single show is more than welcome to. All right. And uh, it's not not cancer-related, so... That's my story. I'm sticking uh, no, to There's it. no one in the chat room anymore, Jack. No. <laughs> you lost our audience. Nobody even wants to, like, cyber make out with me? <laughs> and Kristen's walking back to Connecticut as we speak, right? Oh, yeah. No, Doreen's on it. Doreen's on it. She's totally on it. Well, we have a new person, Laura, in the chat room. And apparently she's from New York City, so maybe she would like to uh, hang out with me tonight. Yeah, Laura, come on over to 40 Worth Street. <laughs> we'll, we'll be done in about an hour, but if you run really quickly, we'll, we'll still be here. I'll be waiting for you because, you know, what else do I have to lose? Nothing. Exactly. Yeah, Jack's going to sleep here tonight on the couch. It's been done. It has been done. It has been done. So, all right, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get to the news, and then we'll start our conversation. So uh, I keep misplacing this cue. Here we go. Ready? Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce worthy news stories to our adoring listeners to inform them about the latest and greatest in young adult programs. That is free young adult programs, services, events, projects, and other stuff. If you have an upcoming program, event, press release, project, or other stuff that you would like to hear broadcast during this segment to our over 22,000 listeners, please fax it to us at 646-861-2565 or email jack at jack at i2y.com. Go for it, bro. Good evening, everybody. Here is your stupid cancer news. First up, we have 70k.org. Just the word 70, the letter k.org. There are approximately 70,000 people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year. For over two decades, there has been little or no improvement in survival for this age group. By signing this bill, you are supporting the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet the needs of this underserved population. I invite everybody to head on over to events.i2y.com. That's events.i2y.com. That is the official listing of all I2Y events across the country happening in your area. We have upcoming Super Cancer Happy Hours. We have one in New York City this Wednesday night. We have one in Connecticut, which is my hometown happy hour that Kristen and I will be at. Uh, that's next week. We have a happy hour in San Francisco. We have uh, I2Y Apple Festival for New York Metro and our inaugural Super Cancer Halloween Scaretacular. And I don't know, Matthew, if you've noticed, but I'm wearing my mask already. I am. Uh, doesn't take much, does it? I am uh, I'm ready for this uh, Halloween Scare Tackle, and that's actually going to be held on Halloween at the Mercury Bar here in New York City. So 
Head on over to events.i2y.com for all the information on our national events. Upcoming, we have the 12th International Thyroid Cancer Survivors Conference. The nation's top thyroid cancer experts will present the latest research and advances in treatment at the 12th International Thyroid Cancer Survivor Conference, October 16th through the 18th in Boston, Massachusetts. Anyone whose life has been touched by thyroid cancer is encouraged to attend. For more information and to register for this, go to www.thyca, that's thyca, thyca for thyroidcancer.org. Or you can call 877-588-7904. Speaking of Boston, Massachusetts, our friends at Planet Cancer are offering their 18 to 25-year-old retreat and that is October 23rd through the 25th in Boston, Massachusetts. This retreat is free of charge, open to anyone who ever has had or has cancer, and you only have to participate as much as you like to. Applications and for more information on the retreat, you can go to planetcancer.org. That's Boston from October 23rd through the 25th. There's an upcoming women's cancer retreat at Can't Make a Dream out in Missoula, Montana. For more information on Can't Make a Dream and all of their retreats that they offer during the summer, you can head on over to campdream.org. Friday, October 16th from 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. In Cleveland, Ohio is the Rise Above It. Rise Above It, Help Fight Cancer. Their second annual Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Symposium. Again, that's Friday, October 16th from 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. in Cleveland, Ohio. Head on over to, let's see, how do you register for this? Okay, it is, uh, no, that's not it. Okay, it is it. Thank you, Miss Julie Larson. <laughs> www.raibenefit.org, raibenefit.org. Click on the events tab and register. Let's see. Are you a young adult cancer survivor living in Rhode Island or southern or southeastern Massachusetts who would like to begin an exercise program? Previous research has shown that exercise can provide a number of benefits to cancer survivors, such as improve their mood and reduce fatigue. I need this. The Survivor Step Into Motion Study will test a web-based exercise program designed specifically for young adult cancer survivors. The website is designed to help young adult cancer survivors begin a program of moderate Intensity exercise, which is equal to a brisk walk. Oh, I'm out. Those who choose to participate in the study will be randomly assigned one or one of the two groups. In one group, participants will receive access to the exercise website for 12 weeks, and in the other group, they will receive information about other cancer-related websites that may be helpful to them. And this study is funded by the National Cancer Institute. If you are interested in the Survivor Step Into Motion program, please contact Santina Horowitz at area code 401-793-8124 or email her at shorowitz at lifespan.org. All right, we got to shorten that for next week. Yes. <laughs> I just read the promos as they come my way, my friend. All right. And we have cancer care programs. The young adult groups that are active and running at Cancer Care are Living with Cancer for those in active treatment, Life After Cancer for those post-treatment, Young Adults Loss of a Parent, Young Women with Breast Cancer, Young Adult Individual Grief Counseling, and Young Adult Caregivers for all diagnoses and relationships. We're going to be talking about Cancer Care a lot with our friend Julie Larson, who's here in studio with us, so stay tuned for that. What Did she found Cancer Care? Did she? <laughs> I didn't found Cancer Care. <laughs> but, but you found it. I found, I found it, too. I found it, and I found it for young adults. And that's why we love you. All right, finish up already. Come on. And finally, we have our live-on sperm banking by mail for cancer patients. Ah, the heck with it. If you need a live-on kit for sperm banking by mail, go to liveonkit.com. And that, my friends, is your stupid cancer news. Oh, is that all it takes? I'm going back to bed. All right. All right, Jack, you're dismissed. Good night, everybody. Good night, Gracie. Oh, boy. Okay. In the Survivor Spotlight tonight, we have Landon Dunning, a singer-songwriter currently working on her second album. Following the 08 release of One Woman Army, her music is rock with industrial influence and pop sensibilities, provocative, thought-provoking lyrics, and strong, unbridled vocal performance.
performances are what you can expect from her music and live show. Landon's strength is exuded in her music, being a survivor of ovarian, a lot of ovarian survivors tonight. <clears throat> ovarian cancer at age 16. And part of her story, man, doesn't begin to touch on the mysterious depth behind her lyrics. I love her music. I'm her biggest fan, as they all say. And it was an honor to have her as part of our project. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Landon Dunning. Hello. <laughs> Hello, my dear. How are you? Welcome, welcome. I'm doing excellent. How are you? Oh, my goodness. It's so great to talk to you. It's so great to have you on the show. It's been a long time coming, and I'm very excited. Oh, me too. I've been looking forward to it. Where are you calling in from? Huntington Beach, California. Oh, goodness, the West Coaster. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay, we, we forgive you. <laughs> I am going to Canada, so I'm building up a tolerance. So. Oh, nice. I've never been to Canada. Yeah, you're better off than I am at this point. <laughs> All right, so let's get this started. Ovarian at 16. Congratulations. How'd you get that oh, done? Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm very blessed to be alive, and, you know, it's just it's something that is a part of me and a part of uh, my story. So how are you... How was that detected at 16 years old? Um, I guess my greatest symptom was fatigue. I was just so extremely exhausted, and that's all I wanted to do was sleep. Um, and so, you know, being 16, I was I was away at boarding school studying theater, and since all I wanted to do is sleep, they're like, maybe she has a sleeping disorder. So <laughs> they sent me to a uh, sleep disorder clinic, you know, and they put all the little uh, – things on your head and, you know, measured uh, my sleep for sleep apnea and all of that. And, you know, they sent me away with some sleep meds and some negative diagnoses, and uh, that's what I thought I had for quite some time. But meanwhile, there was a huge tumor growing in my uterus, and I didn't find that out till I had to have emergency surgery. Um, and I went back to my hometown of Dallas, Texas, and had it done there. What did you just, like, collapse and fall over one day and they said, maybe there's something really wrong with her? Well, you know what? It's funny because I went to a guy doctor first, and he was like, oh, you know, you just have your period, gave me some Tylenol, you know, went home. And I was like, no, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty tough girl, and this is my, – my stomach was real bloated and hard, and I was having pain. And, and so I came back, like, the very next day, and I saw a female doctor, and she took one exam, and she's like, oh, my gosh, we've got to get this girl to emergency surgery. And at the time, I assume you were single. I was, yes. <laughs> yes. But anyone that dates in high school, that's not really a relationship. Sorry to disappoint well, any of our high school well, listeners. You think but, it what, is. What's Sweet Valley High all about? Come on. Oh, no, I'm debunking Carol's <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so at 16, you were like two years away from graduating. You're, you had your whole life ahead of you. Sort of prototype young adult story. So, so. Were you a musician by then? Were you already writing and oh, yeah. singing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was, I'd say from 14 on, I mean, I, I had like somewhat of a career as far as I was writing and doing jingles and actively working. So, I mean, I just love what I do. That's amazing. When, when did your first album, like your official produced, published album come out? Or is that the one we referred to? Yeah, uh, that, you know, I released some EPs and stuff, but the first official album, like on a label and everything, was in March 2008. And how, what year was it when you were 16? God, I think it was 2001. Okay. Okay, wow. So, like, seven years to... Well, so you're in, like, yeah, your 30s that now? That makes me 24. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That's what I meant. No, we like 24-year-olds. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the new 35. Awesome. Good. Yeah. What's that make you, Matthew? I'm 197. You look nice. your age, too. I, I do look my age. You're looking well. Well, we're going to cut away to your song, uh, No Medication, which I, I love this song. It's so passionate. It's got so much sort of anger in it, but it's channeled so well. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, your creative process in, in writing this? Yeah, I mean, I think it was mostly, I was, I felt like a guinea pig for six years of my life because there was a lapse between 16 and 21 where I had, um, it had uh, repercussions from the ovarian cancer that ended me in all these uh, different drug trials, and I just felt like a guinea pig because I didn't know what was wrong. Um, so for six years, I suffered from repercussions from the ovarian cancer. Um, my colon was actually uh, paralyzed. So I, I went from doctor to doctor, from drug to drug, and I was just over it. I was just ready to have 
my life back, and so that's where all of the anger came. And it was a really, it was a nice release, and music is therapy for me, so it was just nice to channel all that, exactly as you say, because I could let go of that now. Well, we're going to cut away to the song and come back and just and talk a little bit more, okay? Awesome. All right, this is no, what's the name of the album? One Woman Army. One Woman Army, this is no medication. You guys are going to love this song. Here we go. That song was awesome. Landon, you have one hell of a voice. Thank you. Are you signed with anybody, or are you working completely independently? You know, I I did that album on my own label. I just decided to start my own label, and um, now I am actually probably going to find a major because I need more of a their marketing muscle. Well, count us in to help you in any way I'll we can. I'll follow you all over the country. Yeah, Jack, consider, oh, yeah, Jack's your first groupie at this point. Oh, wonderful. Forget those other <laughs> bands. I'll, I'll follow that. So uh, her. just to wrap up real quick, because, you know, this is a quick segment, but, you know, tonight's show is about being single with cancer. If I can ask, are you currently single? <laughs> no, I'm not. All right. Well, over the last six years, you have you been single over the last six years since you were diagnosed? Yes, I, I actually just got married last weekend. Oh my goodness! Oh, congratulations! Oh, yes. You get the crazy applause again. So there's a guy out there that gets to hear that voice every day. Yeah, that's good stuff. Wow! Congratulations on getting married. 
Thank you. That's super amazing. You're not calling from like like Tahiti or something, are you? Oh no, oh no. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, good for you. That's a that's a that's a success story we like to hear about. Thank you. It's do, awesome. Do you have a, a message for the people listening who are single about how to deal with this? And any any thoughts before we uh, we we wrap up? Um, I guess you know it, it's definitely. I mean, no way about it. It's a difficult journey to take, and. I think just being with somebody that's like really understanding and supportive of your journey and that sees the strength and brings that strength out in you, I think that is the person that you can share, you know, your life with. Very well said. Well, I got to tell you, you are even more extraordinary on the air, and uh, it's been a pleasure having you. I'm going to be in Southern California several times this year and next year, so uh, perhaps we get to meet in person. Oh, I would love it. I would love it, and it's a pleasure having me on the show. Thank you. And, uh, again, landing your website for people? is uh, I'm on MySpace right now. So is it MySpace slash Landon? Central, Landon Central. Okay, MySpace.com slash Landon Central. And uh, Landon's song is one of the 20 on I2Y Volume 2, which is available at music.i2y.com. Landon, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Good luck and enjoy your marriage. <laughs> thank you. Okay, Landon Dunning, everybody. <laughs> Where are we here? Let's uh, let's do this one. Okay, we have two guests coming onto the show right now for our singles with stupid cancer show. Live here in the studio, program director for the young adult program at Cancer Care here in New York City, a national organization which provides free professional support services, including counseling, education, financial assistance, and practical help to people affected by cancer. She's one of the leading national gurus in young adult cancer support, and uh, a pretty fine singer, too. Please welcome to the show, Julie Larson. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure always to join you here. Hi, Julie. Hello. And we'll cut back to this. Also joining us in our forum, Tracy Maxwell was diagnosed with a rare form of ovarian cancer. It's like a recurring theme tonight. In 2006, following surgery and six rounds of chemo, she emerged cancer-free with a new outlook on life. Recognizes from her own personal experience how difficult it can be to navigate cancer as a single person. And writes a monthly column from that perspective called A Single Cell. Published on DivineCaroline.com, Tracy's next goal is to find a way to provide needed services for singles with stupid cancer Please welcome to the show, Tracy Maxwell. Hey, Matt. Great to be back with you. Hi, All righty. Tracy, hey, Julie, Jack. and Carol, you guys are all on your own. I'm going home. <laughs> all right. See you guys later. <laughs> the girls are going to take over. <laughs> so I'm really excited to have both of you on here as kind of just a roundtable discussion about being single with cancer. And I thought that for tonight – we would talk about the aspects of being single with cancer that are actually not about dating. We could do an entire episode on dating when you have cancer, but we're going to save that for another night. Tonight we're going to talk about so many other things that have to do with being single with cancer. And I want to start off by talking a little bit about asking for help and how that differs among people who are single. So whoever wants to launch in first. I'll start. It's one of the things that, this is Tracy, that my friend said um, I actually did really well, and I think that came from having a previous injury. Um, I broke my ankle a few years before, and I had to navigate, you know, Colorado winter and couldn't drive um, on crutches. And uh, so I think I learned from that experience so that when I got cancer, I, I was able to, to ask for help right away, right up front. And what I did was I sent an email out to literally everyone I know and just said, hey, a lot of people are asking what what do I need, and I'm not really sure yet because it's early on, but I sat down and brainstormed a whole list, and I probably had 50 things on the list from you can bring me um, a pint of Cherry Garcia and a DVD and just sit and watch it with me, or you can come by and offer to take out my garbage or wipe down the bathtub or do some chores for me, unload the dishwasher. Um, to invite me out to do things because when I feel like it, it's great to see friends and be around people. And I think um, 
And and I also acknowledge that people really don't know what to say to me and they don't know how to act around me and they feel bad and that really anything that they could say is better than saying nothing. And so just being able to kind of put them at ease by letting them know I understand this is hard for you just as it is for me and giving them a long list of things that they could do, um, I really made it easier for people, I think, to help because they had a lot of things to choose from. You know, Tracy, it was interesting because you said that you had this experience beforehand that kind of got you used to asking for help. But for so many young adults, it's a completely Mm -hmm. new experience to have to ask for help. We've never needed to ask someone to help take out our garbage before. But when you're single, there's really nobody there to do that kind of totally unglamorous grunt work that makes our lives function when we can't do it ourselves. Julie, I'm curious about what your experience has been like talking with clients who see you and and how they get over that. um, Sometimes I guess it's a stigma or just the challenge of learning how to ask for help. Sure. And, you know, I wanted to also comment on what Tracy said about her prior experience of having to kind of learn this and understand it for herself before she was diagnosed. And I think that maybe that's where it all begins. Because given that this is such a new thing to be doing, is asking for help and reaching out to other people in kind of these mundane and and tricky ways, I think the first step is really understanding what you need and understanding what you what help looks like. So, you know, so you before you can ask for you got to kind of understand. Well, hey, what in the heck do I mean when I when I need somebody? Does that mean practical things like helping out around the house or driving me to and from treatment or or helping to figure out what resources are out there on the Internet? Or does that mean I need somebody to come over with that pint of cherry Garcia and sit and watch a movie and just be here emotionally or just talk about other normal stuff or listen? So I think the first step in all of this is to actually kind of just sit down with yourself and begin to think about when I am feeling lonely, when I am feeling kind of overwhelmed or stressed out, what's missing? What am I needing in that moment? What do I always want to scream at the rafters and yell at somebody to come and do? And begin on your own first to make a list of what that is, what you don't have, what you're needing. And then I think giving people options. Tracy did a fantastic way of kind of outlining a lot of different options. And and that's really helpful. And gosh, don't we wish that the people that reached out to us would just immediately say, hey, I'm going to come over every Wednesday and take out your trash, but I don't know that they know that that's a way of helping so if we can be as specific as possible, sometimes that's helpful. And then I also really like the way um, Tracy mentioned that she said, you know, sometimes you don't know. You know, but a lot of people are reaching out and they're saying, hey, what can I do? What can I, how can I help you? And that it's, it's absolutely acceptable and understandable that you say, you know what, I don't know right now. I, I'm overwhelmed. I don't understand what I need right I don't know. And and that people continue to come, but please keep coming back to me. Or even if I don't pick up my voicemail or my cell phone when you call, that doesn't mean I haven't gotten your message and that I know that I'm listening and I know that you're there. Keep calling. Keep sending me those emails. So kind and of I reinforcing. Think, yeah, this is when it can be so helpful to, to just ask the one really reliable sort of planner person in your life, a friend of yours, to say, can you help me get in contact with my friends? Like This is hard for me to do. Can you ask them to help me? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was a major difference for me. I went through treatment when I was single two different times. I was single both times. The first time I arranged all the help myself. The second time I had somebody who was a point person, and they arranged all the help for me. And they were so brilliant at helping to strategize about things that I would need. I mean, I was so spaced Mm -hmm. out. I would Mm -hmm. not recognize, you know, oh, I only have two pairs of clean underwear left. It was my friend who would say, open your drawer. How much underwear do you have left? Let me go ask someone to do it for you. And it made a world of difference having someone else do the asking Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. You know, and a lot of people have, um, you know, friends and or a certain person that's their messenger, quote-unquote messenger, the person that sends out email updates about what's happening, what's going on, and so often those are focused around treatment. But why can't there be the final sign-off of that email, say, hey, and, you know, my friend Jane needs this this week. Is anybody up and available? These are the things that are we're needing. That can, those needs can go into that email update, too, if somebody feels comfortable with. All of this, of course, is what you feel comfortable with. Talk a little bit about long-distance caregivers. What does that mean? Um, are there are there roles for people who are living far away, and how can they help? 
You know, I, I was amazed actually by, and, I, and I've heard this from a lot of other people too, who um, say that they got help from totally the totally different people than they expected that they would. That often those people that are closest to us, either that live closest to us or work with us and see us every day, or our neighbors, are not necessarily the ones who come through in a crisis. Um, but that someone was there for them, and often it was. I mean, for me, even some of them were total strangers. They were friends of my friends, and my friends put out a plea and said, hey, my friend Tracy needs help. Can you send her a hat or send her a scarf, or do you have a fun wig that you don't use? And and I got gifts and packages and cards and prayer requests and you name it from from people at my sister's church in Kentucky and from friends of friends all over the country, and it was really amazing. So I do think that there is a role for long-distance caregivers and helpers, and, um, uh, you know, I had another friend who set up a donation site, and we donated to an ovarian cancer research cause, but one of the things that I want to mention that I think can be really helpful are some of the services that are out there um, that provide free websites for cancer patients to keep their friends updated. Uh, MyLifeline.org is a favorite because it mm-hmm. was started by a friend of mine who's also an ovarian cancer survivor here in Denver. What's with ovarian? And, is there something in the soup tonight? <laughs> There must I, I be something that. in the water, Matt, or yeah. something. Yeah, like six um, ovarian survivors. Keep that water away from me. <laughs> you don't have ovaries, Jack, so I think you're okay. Oh, thank God. But, I've been sweating like a fool over here. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I really like about my lifeline, Marsha's site, is that she allows you to put your schedule, your treatment schedule, up so that you don't, you know, no one ever remembers because I would blog it all the time, but then they're like, oh, you're having chemo this week? Oh, I totally forgot that was going on. But if they can go to a site and check and see your schedule, then they kind of know, okay, this is a week that she might need some meals or she might need some extra help or maybe a ride to treatment or whatever. Um, there are a lot of services like that. There's another one called Lots of Helping Hands that offers the same kind of thing that will help you find those volunteers who are willing to help once you kind of, give them some parameters about what you need. Um, so I think having a friend coordinate is a great idea, but using some of those um, services that are online or, or other services can really be helpful as well. Let's talk a little bit about parents and where parents kind of play into this picture and what that means for those of us who just kind of like feel like we've just broken free from our parents and we're out living on our own for the first time maybe and we're single and the person that we have to fall back on and rely on is our parents again. Mm-hmm. This, this I think is often a, a really significant issue and and I you know I, I, I call it the, the independence versus dependence dance with your parents and and needing them, wanting not not only needing them again for like logistical things, but also just the the comfort and the um, care and the emotional kind of caring that parents bring. But then wanting to maintain a sense of autonomy and a sense of independence. And I really think this comes down to communication. It it, it, all, it seems like this whole conversation is a lot about communication, but really being honest and helping your parents to know that when you want to do something on your own that that helps you feel, you know, helps, helps you stay connected to your normal life, feel capable, feel, you know, staying connected with your friends, and that those things are part of your kind of quote-unquote treatment plan too. You know, this is Matt. I, I remember, I always talk about this because I was treated in the Stone Age 14 years ago, and like the, these conversations weren't even a glimmer in the sperm of the idea in, uh, in, in terms of what do we do with all these patients, and, and I was 21. And I was single when I was diagnosed. I was in college. And I remember, you know, I was on my way to grad school at the time, and I wasn't able to go to grad school because I was sick. So I was sort of forced into the real world with no certain future whatsoever and no prospect for dating. I lost so much weight. I didn't recognize myself in the mirror. I was practically infertile. I was impotent. I had, uh, like, identity issues with myself in the mirror. And it took me, like, three years to start dating again. But I remember very vividly those 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 two and a half, three years or so, starting to work again and meeting people. And it was just wretched having to worry about what they're going to think about you, mm-hmm. having to worry about performing, having to worry about, you know, people looking at you in a way that is uncomfortable and, and just trying to reconcile all that. And yet and then there are my parents barreling down saying, you know, when are you going to start seeing somebody or, or, you know, what can we do to help you? And all good intentions, but, I mean, I what I wouldn't give, you know, to to have had – 
these resources at my disposal back then. And I also think, you know, Matt, you kind of bring up that feeling of frustration that a lot of young adults can feel toward your parents. Like it's, it's an extra pressure or there's a frustration or all those tricky dynamics come bubble to the surface. I also talk to so many young people who feel so protective of the fact that this is really emotional and difficult for their parents too. And so in some way they're kind of often protecting them at the same time mm-hmm as accepting their help and that and that's a tricky feeling as well you know i've seen a lot of people get teary in talking to me about how much this has impacted their parents and how they know that and they feel for them yeah and that i think i'm sorry i was going to say i think it's really difficult for a parent especially when you're younger when you're i think when you're a kid or when you're a young adult who gets cancer and you're not supposed to get cancer when you're our age, um, that is a very difficult thing for them. It's a, it's a tough time anytime parents have to um, think about their children's mortality. And different um, than a little teeny weeny kid, a young adult knows that they've impacted their parents, is very aware yeah. and very sensitive to the fact that they know that this has impacted them too. Yeah, I remember when I was recovering from my surgery and I was living in San Francisco, my parents live in Pittsburgh, and my mom flew out and stayed with me for three weeks in my studio apartment, crashing mm-hmm. on a futon on the floor. And it was like both of our emotions were under a microscope because we physically had no space from each other. And we just saw everything that each other was going through. And it just so ricocheted, it just kept ricocheting and ricocheting. And it was really helpful. One day a rabbi came to visit me, who I knew. And I was like, you know, I'm going to have a small little alcove that was my bedroom. <laughs> and I said, I'm just going to go over into my bedroom and maybe you guys can talk. And it was sort of a relief for me to know that there was somebody else there who could help take care of my mom who was helping take care of me. Yeah, and that was something that I, uh, I've i had a tough time, you know, dealing with. with uh, you know, I was 32 when I was diagnosed and the fact that my parents who were both retired, you know, fortunately, I, I have parents that, you know, not only are they both alive, but they're only like four miles away. So it wasn't terribly hard for them to be there for me. But they they gave up their freedom. You know, they, they're they both retired. They gave up a uh, an Alaskan cruise that they had scheduled so they could, you know, focus on my treatment and stuff. And I had a lot of guilt associated with that. But there was, uh, you know, a friend of the family told me that no matter how old you are, and how old your kids are, you never stop being their parent. So regardless if you have, you know, young kids or kids in their 30s, you're always going to be a parent, and that, that instinct is always going to kick in and take over. So talking about parenting, let's look at the flip side of parenting and fertility issues. So fertility issues for somebody who's single and going through cancer, it's just a whole different ball game. So I'm wondering if either Julie or Tracy you want to talk a little bit about that. You know, I was really lucky when I was diagnosed because I had an oncologist who brought that up with me right away. Right when we started talking about treatment, he asked if I wanted to have kids and said, we need to think about fertility immediately if you do. And, you know, I also was lucky in that I never have really felt like I wanted to have kids. So that was a a big weight off of my mind that I did not have to think about going into this, which made it a lot easier for me. Um, but we've just done a survey. I've posted the link a couple of times in the chat room um, of single people who've, who've dealt with cancer or been through treatment, and it's one of the biggest issues that comes up again and again. Um, and, and I think having to just even think about fertility when you're single, it just adds so much insult to injury when you're already dealing with cancer. It's just an added burden um, and a lot of people, one woman said, I would have liked to freeze my eggs once I received my diagnosis and before I began chemo, and she wished that insurance companies would cover the cost for women in that position. So even if you do want to do that, and and uh, we were talking earlier about the fact that freezing your eggs may not even be the best choice, having some frozen embryos might be, and how do you ask someone to, to fertilize an egg for you when you're single? So it's it's so difficult, but then the cost is astronomical of uh, when you talk about freezing eggs or embryos. And so thinking about taking that on when you're already probably burdened with the costs of, of uh, dealing with treatment to begin with, there are just so many issues to think about in terms of fertility. Julie, is this an issue that comes up in your work? Absolutely. And I, and I think Tracy actually touched on a lot of the, the, the important points about that. 
in, at the end of the day, it's another, yet another loss. And, and it's so often a diagnosis brings forward so many losses. We're really dealing with just kind of life-changing in many, many ways and reconciling things that feel like they're not there anymore and could fertility and, and the fact that this is sometimes a conversation that doesn't feel like a possibility when you're single and you don't even know how to begin to think about that as a woman, choosing a sperm donor or asking someone to be that person for you or, you know, recognizing that freezing eggs isn't at, is it still experimental stage. It just, all of that translates into a loss. And, and so with that comes feelings of grief. And so, you know, you kind of got to make room for that at the same time that you're learning about your diagnosis and understanding your treatment plan and getting going, and, and that's a lot to ask. So when Tracy was talking, she also brought up the issue of finances. And finances and health insurance are so different when there's just one person. I mean, when I was single, there wasn't the option of, hopefully my husband has good health insurance. It was it was up to me to go out and get the really crappy job that I hated to make sure that I had health insurance that would cover me when I was going through treatment. And it's it's a whole different thing. So I'm curious if you know either one of you can talk a little bit about health insurance and finances and and how that's just so different when you're single. Well, I think just being a young adult, um, no matter what stage of your, uh, I mean, whether you're single or married, when you're a young adult and you're just starting your career, um, a lot of people reported in the survey that they didn't have health insurance yet, or some that they were on COBRA or their insurance hadn't kicked in yet, and I think. They've just started in their career many times, mm -hmm. and then you're hit with this diagnosis, and you haven't really felt like you've established yourself very well in the career, and you may not have good health insurance. And the other issues I think that go along with that are that if you don't have disability insurance, and that was a huge eye-opener for me. I was so incredibly grateful that my, my company, which didn't provide disability insurance, strongly recommended that I get it, and I did. I signed up for disability insurance three years before I was diagnosed. And, and, um, but when you can't work through your whole treatment. So a lot of people in the survey talked about the fact that um, even if they had health insurance, they had to cut down on their hours or they weren't getting paid as much or um, they were worried that they might lose their job because they couldn't work or they didn't have disability insurance. So there's so many issues there. And again, I think they're probably compounded by those two things, being a young adult and being new in your career and also being single. You're right. You're just relying upon yourself. And um, if you don't have good insurance or you don't have any insurance, you're kind of on your own. And that um, adds to the loneliness and the scariness uh, already of a very difficult situation. Julie, I remember when I was going through this, I was so jealous of married people with cancer. <laughs> Like, you don't have to go back to work as soon, maybe. You have two incomes or you have one other income when you're not working. Am I alone? Do other single people feel jealous about married folks who are oh, going through cancer? Oh, not, not only for the, you know, I think, you know, you're, you're kind of talking about the pressure that's on your shoulders. I mean, you have to you have to supply for yourself. I mean, you have to kind of be the one to, one person there. And, and to feel like there's another backbone in the home or somebody else that potentially has health insurance benefits or an income Sure, many, many people who are single talk to me about that, feeling stuck. Gosh, I hear about that a lot. And this is sometimes if people are working through their treatment or even afterwards and they begin to kind of reevaluate their life and they begin to kind of reprioritize and see where they really want to be. But the fact that their current job has health insurance benefits is, an, is a tie that keeps them there, and that feels frustrating too. So it's not only in the period of time when you're going through treatment, but sometimes even afterwards when you feel like I can't move anywhere, I can't go anywhere or, or do anything that I really want to do at this point because I'm stuck here with health insurance. It's like a little tether. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, Tracy brings up good points. I think a lot, some of, one of the best options with this is educating yourself and really knowing what your options are, understanding your entitlements. So understanding, you know, what HIPAA means. HIPAA means portability. So your health insurance coverage will remain the same level of coverage if you move from plan to plan to plan. A lot of people don't know that. 
So you, granted, you don't have a 60, that's a 63 day gap. That's really important to know. You can't have a gap for over 63 days. But that between an employer plan to a COBRA plan to a new employer to something else, you maintain that portability. So kind of knowing some of those um, facts about what your rights are and what your options are sometimes helps to kind of loosen that tether just a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, the word loneliness has come up so many times as we've been talking. And I'm wondering if, if you guys can just kind of comment on those feelings of, of loneliness and how to cope with that. Hmm. I think that's a really tough one. And, and, again, that's one that came up again and again in the survey is, uh, in fact, one person said, the loneliness is sometimes unbearable. Friends help me some, but it's not the same as a family or a partner. And, you know, we were talking about parents earlier, and, and some people talked about the fact that they had to actually move home. So in addition to, um, you know, having to have their parents help them, they, they up and moved across the country to actually move in with mm-hmm. their parents rather than having their parents come to them. And so then they lost all connection even with their friends. So they kind of had to choose one or the other. Um, but the loneliness is really tough, and I think just the idea of um, a lot of people mentioned at nighttime that it was really hard because if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're scared, there's not anyone to talk to, and that's something that I definitely dealt with. And one of the things that helped me through it actually was my blog. So if it was the middle of the night and I was taking steroids because I was about to do chemo the next day or I had heartburn, which I often did during chemo, and I couldn't sleep, I would blog. So I'd go on my blog and I would tell people kind of what was going on with me and update them. And then it kind of felt like I was sharing with people, even though, you know, there was not literally someone there. And I did have friends, too, who had been through something like this before who said, please call even if it's in the middle of the night. But, you know, I never did. And I think most people probably don't because you you feel badly about doing that. Um, But just having someone to be there with you and hold your hand or – rub your back or just be physically with you sometimes too is, is all you need and that's what single people people often are lacking. I loved it when my friend would rub my back or play with my hair and you know it was totally non-sexual and it was like the best thing ever because it's so hard when the only touch you're getting is from a doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know there are again some great programs. It's probably it's not the same as having a friend. I think be there and hold your hand and, and touch you or hug you. But um, I got Reiki during my treatment, and it helped so much with the physical side effects, but also just the idea of having that healing touch. Uh, and now I serve on the board of a local organization here in Denver that provides free massage to cancer patients. So there probably are programs like that in lots of cities, and I think that. Um, those kinds of things where you're getting some kind of healing touch during your treatment or after your treatment can really help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Getting your hair done, you know, going, you know, mm-hmm. just getting it blown out, even that kind of thing. I have somebody that comes in for a session with me, you know, weekly, and then afterwards she always goes and gets her hair blown out. <laughs> it's like a ritual. Talk to Julie. Go get your hair. And she it's just something that makes her feel good. She feels like, you know, she looks better and she feels like somebody's touching her. You know, so... So, you know, I think you bring up a really important point, the loneliness. The other thing, you know, we've mentioned a couple times, is it too much to keep asking all of these people, or how do you keep doing that? Sometimes I think it's important to remember that put your, if, you, if you first, just one quick second, put yourself in that other friend's shoes. And if you had a friend that was going through something like this, wouldn't it be really important to you to be a friend and to do something? And it feels good. Most For most people, it makes them feel good about themselves when they have the opportunity to help somebody. So it's that feeling of kind of guilt or I'm, I'm burdening somebody or this is too much for my friends. I think sometimes friends want to be able to help and they just don't know how. So kind of letting sometimes that go and knowing that they they want to be able to do this. Matthew, you have a question. Well, I mean, for those who know me, I am a bit of a wonk when it comes to surveys. I I really like to know, you know, what people are thinking. And, yes, most surveys are anecdotal, and, and, you know, six people say, you know, different things, and you get nine opinions from 14 people. But I was really, really interested in in the survey we keep referring to here tonight that uh, Tracy put together, 
And yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's skewed and it needs you know follow up. And I, but I thought for what it's worth, it was a phenomenal start, a great entree into the really a needs assessment. What do singles with cancer really need? What is their perspective? What is their perception? What isn't isn't working for them? And a lot of the results were were not surprising, but some of them were. Tracy, do you have any specific sort of generalizations about what you've discovered from it? You know, I think the the top three uh, things that people talked about, which were the biggest issues they dealt with as single people, again, these were not surprising. Um, dating inadequacy or anxiety was the top concern by far. Body image issues um, was second, and, I, and those are obviously very related. And then feeling alone was third. So I don't think there are um, huge surprises there, but the one thing that people said that they wanted the most um, were connections with other cancer patients, particularly people that are their own age, and support groups for um, for singles from people who are their own age, um, and then finally dating and sexuality information. So, um, again, no huge surprises there. Um, but, yeah, there were some things in the survey that um, that surprised me a little bit. And I'm, and there's so much information, and I agree that, you know, it's a good start. It's probably a good start on the needs assessment, and there's a lot for us to dive into and, and really look at and talk about and, uh, and understand a little bit better. Uh, but, Matt, something to be proud of, I think, is the number of people who really said how much they appreciated your organization and Planet Cancer particularly and Fertile Hope as well um, and feel like these organizations are doing a pretty good job now in meeting the needs of, of single cancer patients, and I think this show is a great testament about that. Tracy, I'm curious to know, did people identify themselves as male or female on the survey? And I'm curious, Julie, whether or not you see any of these challenges of being single different for men versus women. Um, I, I do. I, you know, I, I think that sometimes I hear more from women than I do from men, and, and so in some ways my information about this is probably also a little skewed because I don't know as often how often men are reaching out and saying that they're, they're struggling with different things. Um, women are more so often do that a little bit louder, a little bit differently. Um, but, but yes, I hear many of the same. I hear actually many of the same things from both men and women, a feeling of not being able to ask, not being able to know how to talk to people. Um, men are the guys I talk to also feeling like, um, how do you bring this up and hold on to your sense of masculinity <laughs> in a certain way? Kind of how do you help, hold, still maintain that sense of I'm capable and I'm okay and I'm still a man, but this is freaking me out and I'm overwhelmed and I need you, dude. You know, like how do you do that? How do you communicate that where maybe that's a little bit easier for a woman in some, in some ways? I don't want to get too gender, you know, stereotypical, but I do see that. Yeah, we don't want to do the, what is that, the women are, men are from Mars, women are from Yeah, I don't yeah no, we don't want to go there. Typical, <laughs> I, at all, but in some regard, I, I kind of do see some of that surface, mm -hmm. that that guys have a harder time holding on to themselves and, and what that means with their buddies when they're also needing some support and having a lot of kind of overwhelming thoughts and feelings about what's happening in their life. Yeah, well, this is such a vast issue and I'm so glad to have both of you on here tonight talking to us about it and, and think that we should have another one of these shows in the future. Um, before we go, Julie, do you have an announcement for us? I sure do. I just wanted to put a little shout out out there in the world of the New York City young adults or, or people that are close to us in the area that there is an incredible, phenomenal event that's happening next Wednesday and Thursday and it's um, called Visual Diaries, a Snapshot of the Young Adult Cancer Experience. And it's a pho photography gallery opening of pho photographs that young adults have taken to express themselves and to share through photography their experience. And it's incredibly powerful work. And to find out more information, just go to cancercare.org and under our events, you'll see everything there and where it's located and how to get there. You can also email me for more information, jlarson, L-A-R-S-O-N, at cancercare.org. That's Visual Diaries next Wednesday the 30th and Thursday the 1st, and it's pretty incredible. 
Great. And Tracy, any last words before we go? I'll just say that I continue to post the link uh, to the survey and would love to have some more people take it. Um, and I will encourage you all to, to tweet or share the link on your Facebook pages as well to, if you have other friends that are single and have dealt with cancer to uh, share it with them and encourage them to go and, and fill it out because the more we can find out about what the needs are, the more we can hopefully start meeting them. Great. Well, thank you both so much for being on tonight. Yes, thank, thank you, you guys. Thank you for having us. Definitely a show we, we can have no short supply of. Thanks for having us here. Thank you, guys. Keep up the good work. All right. Julie Larson and uh, Tracy Maxwell, thank you guys so much. All right. Well, uh, that's our show, Jack and Carol. Uh, good stuff. Really good stuff. I'm still dateless, though. I yeah. thought this was the Singles with Cancer Yeah, show. Jack's still single. This show's been a failure. I want my money back. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess we'll see you guys all here next week. And uh, now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks. That's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank my guests, Tracy Maxwell, Landon Dunning, and Julie Larson, and in our live studio audience, Kristen Meyer. Next week's show, Legislate This. With Survivor Spotlight, Ann Willis, young adult survivor Ewing Sarcoma, and the Survivorship Program Manager at the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. Duncan Cross, healthcare blogger. And Molly Daniels, Vice President for Field Advocacy at, get this, the American Cancer Society's Cancer Action Network. Sure to be a hell of a show if you missed any of our previous broadcasts. Check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or subscribe to our podcast at itunes.i2y.com. And if you don't already have a copy of Carol's amazing book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in the 20s and 30s, it is available wherever books are sold. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week, my friends, live from the chemo deck in New York City. Jack Bufard. Carol Rosenthal, Captain Stewie, and I wish you all a great evening. Go to bed, Laura 30. Fuck her out. <laughs> <laughs>